morning. It was a Monday morning about four weeks ago, soon after the major rains, but before that first snowfall and this snowfall. Clianza uh, and I hit the road to Squamish uh, on rumors, just rumors that there was snow up in the back country. Uh, because you see, we had, uh, there was no evidence of it, but we had bought some used backcountry ski gear and kind of getting excited about this new hobby together. And, uh, you know, all this time we have together, it's, it's, it's a fun season. So we drove our truck, this old truck, we drove it from Vancouver through the rain, through the, all, all that. Uh, we, we get to Squamish, you go up to Quest University and you start winding up the Mamquam Forest Road. You guys should try it if you have the right vehicle, it's beautiful. Um, we're heading towards the Elfin Lakes Trail and the destination of the Red Heather Cabin. I think some of you might have been there. But we really wondered, would there be snow? Because as, as we wound up the road, all we saw was gravel and potholes and, and mud and a little bit of snow. It's not like today. It's, it's a harder story to tell when it's like that out there. There's not much snow. Uh, and yet, then we, we rounded a corner and there we were, mountains of snow, uh, right near the parking lot. You put chains on, you get up to that final parking lot. We had arrived. So there we were. We were doing it. We were about to become backcountry skiers. It's been kind of a dream. Uh, so, you know, the, the sky was blue, the snow was real, there was almost no one there. Our joy meter was off the charts. That smile is, is real. It's... So our, the, what you do in backcountry skiing is you start climbing. You put these skins on and you start basically walking uphill with skis on. And, uh, you know, so it was my first time in these boots and then, you know, some chafing began. You know, first it was a toe and then it was the ankle. Like, nope, here we go. So my joy meter, strong and holding. Okay, about two hours later, we arrive at the Red Heather Cabin. It's an amazing view of of an alpine meadow and one other couple with a little child and there we were eating our lunch and so I took my boots off, you know, because the blister on the toe really had started to form. Um, But we were glad to be out. My joy meter, determined. I'm determined to enjoy this amazing day. So what we had after lunch was a final 20-minute-ish climb. You're in the meadow, and you climb up 20, 25 minutes, and then you ski down. And the whole thing is you might repeat that a couple times because you've made it all the way there to do exactly that. So the 20-minute climb, you know, we arrived exhausted, still glad. You know, this is the moment you take the skins off, you tighten the boots. Oh, man, it hurt. My, my ankle was just screaming, so I'm tightening the boots, like, oh my goodness. So sore feet, sore legs, stamina flagging. Uh, and you got to know, too, Clanza and I had had a little discussion on that last ascent. You know, her, her pole had malfunctioned. It was stabbing in the deep snow, and I helpfully made a great suggestion about her pole, which wasn't appreciated. My joy meter, faltering. Okay, so here we are. We're talking about joy. What is joy? Right? When's the last time you experienced heart full of joy? 
maybe it's because you were doing something new or, or you had a hope of something on a horizon. And so we have to ask ourselves, is joy that happy feeling when circumstances are going your way? Like when I'm in that parking lot at the first with my skis on, joy, is that joy? Or we have to ask, what is joy as defined in the Bible and as we've heard, read about? And that's going to be our key question. So we're going to look a little bit at this Advent reading. We're going to look at where Mary, a young teenager, expressed her joy in the midst of strange, difficult circumstances. And so as we dig in, I want us to see how can we swap our lesser joys for biblical joy? And a bit of a disclaimer, I think Advent contains this invitation, but also a challenge. It's good, though. So I want to refer us back to last week. Edith gave us a really great message. Uh, and it, she focused on Mary, the enunciation, hearing that she would be the mother of Jesus. So Mary was found to be pregnant outside of marriage. So she was legally engaged, but now pregnant. So culturally she was guilty. She was uh, liable for divorce and, and maybe worse, Edith narrated, maybe even stoning. I mean, this is, this is horrible. And, and so we have to ask, okay, what has gone on? What is going on in her, her life? And one of the things, you know, even just that scenario highlights is the voice and the rights of women at her time and right up till today is tenuous, right? Women do not get the, the benefit of the doubt. And so we see this happening to Mary, and God has enacted this plan. God has chosen for Jesus to be born in this way. God's plan has exposed young Mary to risk, and yet has invited Mary to radical trust. So we're going to start digging there about biblical joy, God's risk with radical trust. So as I, as I as told us, and as we go to review again, Mary was likely 14 to 18 years old. So as you've seen the dream team up here and, and the Advent team reading, this, this is Louisa and Treya and Emily and Macy and Maya and Jade. These are girls you know. This is Mary uh, being exposed to this risky plan of the Lord. So just for a moment, young ladies, I'd like you to imagine if God had brought this plan into your life, maybe you're now waking up with morning sickness, uh, trying to keep up with your homework, uh, maybe walking the hallways at school with a baggy sweater, trying to hide the growing tummy. <laughs> maybe your family would plan, like Mary's family. Mike, I'm just going to make one adjustment. Oh, it's because it's in my pocket. God's joy in the middle of circumstances. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. Yeah, good. So, you know, to, to sort of hopefully drive it home, as I, as I mentioned, you young ladies, and we think of then Mary, you wonder, like, so Mary goes to see Elizabeth. Partly, I wonder, like, well, let's, let's send Mary off to Auntie's home right, to, to weather out some of this crazy plan that God has enacted. So maybe Mary's nine months partly was spent in some kind of hiding, right, some kind of like contemplating this unexpected motherhood. But then she goes to see 
her aunt Elizabeth. And I'll read the verses again. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried down to the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So I love, and I love this picture as well, this, this passage that opens a, a scene with special connection between older Auntie Elizabeth and, and younger niece Mary. Uh, Elizabeth and her unborn child are filled with joy at receiving Mary and her unborn child, Jesus. Um, Elizabeth was advanced in years, likely in her 60s, uh, and she also miraculously had been able to have a baby. Not in the, the angel conception or the spirit conception, but with her husband. You know, this, too, has been a miracle based on God's promise. She was going to become the mother of John the Baptist, the cousin of Mary's son, Jesus. So these two women, two unlikely mothers, have a lot of joy to share. Their babies would play a really special role in, in bringing God's everlasting kingdom. Young Mary then launches into a song of praise, the Magnificat. Um, and, and we see it's full of joy. She says here, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. So in her song, in the verses that follow, we see many things. In 48 and 49, we see that Mary is hum- mindful of her humble life and joyful that God is doing great things for her. In 50 and 51, she widens her view to all people that God's mercy would extend to everyone who reveres God. And then 52, Mary praises God for his mighty deeds, for scattering the privately prideful, for bringing down kings and rulers. Again, a reminder that it's the Lord that guides our our global politics. In 53, she says, God's plan is for filling the hungry with good things, but sending the rich away empty. You see, God has come to an ordinary, nowhere, nobody family in Palestine. He's got a plan, and it involves Mary and her family. And so Mary might be thinking, wow, the God of the universe sees me. God's plan, I can relate to this God of the universe. And I think it highlights a theme over and over again in Scripture, God's great reversal. You see, the the riches of our world and our power systems of the world leave us hungry and empty. And yet, us being hungry and empty and turning to God, that's the thing that fills us with the joy, the joy that we long for. Only God satisfies when it comes to this. And her Magnificat concludes with joyful praise in that God has fulfilled his long-awaited promise to the whole world by bringing this Messiah, this Jewish Jesus, to the people of Abraham and yet fulfilling their promises and it's going to be for the whole world. God keeps his promises. So thinking about all this, reading the scriptures, I was also helped this week in the last couple weeks by the Bible Project. If you haven't heard of the Bible Project, Go on YouTube, look it up. Uh, it's the Bible scholars combined with animation specialists, and they really help us bring Scripture truth alive. And I, I've really tried to make sure the youth know about it and their parents, and so it's awesome. And so there, uh, we've got um, a next slide. Their definition of biblical joy is this. 
It's an attitude God's people adopt, not because of happy circumstances, but because of their hope in God's love and promise. So throughout this little video, they then narrate, well, how did, how did Israel apply this? Well, let's, for example, when, when God released Israel from Egypt, they, they, they're escaping an army, they cross the Red Sea, and they rejoice. And yet they're still in a wilderness, they're still in a desert, they're still hungry day to day, but they rejoice because God has been their deliverer. We hear Moses and Miriam sing a song, much like Mary's song that we've just heard here. Later writers of the Psalms, they look back on that Exodus experience of joy in the wilderness, and, and they say this in 105, he brought out his people with rejoicing, his chosen ones with shouts of joy. You guessed it. So the joy of God's people is not determined by their struggles. It never has been, but by their future destiny. Fast forward to the New Testament and, and the events around, surrounding Christmas and Mary and all this, the angel says to the shepherds, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. See, God's good news brings joy. The next slide, we go ahead. What about Jesus commenting on joy? He says this in Matthew, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So Matthew's gospel is really characteristic of being one of a persecuted minority. And it really comes out in Jesus' words here. So we have to think of Jesus pointing us not to just what's in front of you, but something beyond. Something beyond, just like happened to the prophets. And then we go ahead to the early church following Jesus. And I'm going to read this text in its entirety. And they said this, Rather, we as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships, and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, hunger, in purity, understanding, patience, and kindness, in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love, in truthful speech and in the power of God. It goes on then to this, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing yet possessing everything. Wow, this, this is the, the early church community that's the, our DNA for who we are today. This is biblical joy. So, I sort of want to ask all of you, young or old, have you met Christians like this? Some of us have. We have, and it's, I would say it's actually a little hard to meet them here in Canada. Typically, if you meet them, they might have been from a country where they've experienced extreme suffering. Maybe, maybe China, Iran, Malaysia, Afghanistan. These are heroes of faith happening today around the world. And yet, some of you right here in Canada you are similarly these heroes of faith who have developed this resilient faith that can find joy in suffering. And these are, let's admit it, strangely joyful people. Like Paul, who finds joy in the Lord while confined to prison, facing a sentence. Or like us, maybe facing health concerns, facing circumstances that do not bring joy. 
and if I could be so bold, I just, we've seen that this year. Uh, Marlene and, and Andy, we saw this in you all year long. Joy in the face of suffering. So what is the key? What is the key of this joy? And it is really, it's having Jesus' presence with us that inspires hope and joy in the face of hardship. And it really goes beyond just mental assent to some kind of truths we read in the Bible. It really needs to be the strong, real experience of Jesus with you, Emmanuel. Jesus said it himself, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So this isn't just theoretical. Jesus means it literally. I will become your joy. As he says in Ephesians, he himself is our peace. The slide here, the next one, says this. Again, finishing with Bible Project. When Christian hope tells us that God is victorious, even over death, only then, joy in the face of suffering becomes a reasonable choice. But that, that takes guts. So these are big concepts. These are, these are heavy, a little bit weighty. But I've had the pleasure in the last couple weeks of, again, like I said, using some of these Bible Project videos with our youth, especially our junior high. We've, we've watched some videos, we've chatted upstairs, and uh, you know, Hannah, Megan, Gabby, Ava, Addie, we discovered something. We discovered a theme animal that I think goes with this image of biblical joy, and the whole church needs to see it. <laughs> How does this have to do with this biblical joy, right? Look at those eyes. <laughs> going off in different directions. So here's, again, Bible Project helped me with this, and we discovered it, and we picked this. God's joy always has one eye looking back. There it is. One eye looking back towards God's salvation. So it's Jesus on the cross. God has saved us. God has come. And with the other eye, we look forward to God's future renewal. So God's salvation, God's renewal... And then, I don't know if you can see down the middle, but somehow then down the middle, that's how we face today. <laughs> so I hope that sort of burns that image in your mind. And uh, <laughs> that poor little guy <laughs> speaks to us about God's joy. So as we go on, I want us to turn back to, again, finishing up, turning back to something Edith had said last week. And it's, it's this invitation, this is the challenge of Advent then, is to let's then reject the pseudo-kings who only offer us bondage. And instead, let's welcome Jesus, the king, into every corner of our lives. So I think here, to do this, we have to do a few things. I think we have to admit, first, of being tired of running our own life. Uh, the bondage, the shame, the things that try to rule us, that all maybe our friends are going after. We have to admit that's not the right way. Then I think we have to ask... Where are we really, where have we let them rule us? Where are they stealing our joy? And I think that's where confession, repentance, turning our, our worship to God. Then lastly, we invite Jesus to be king. Let's go back to Mary for a moment and highlight something that is in the passage in a couple ways. And Mary says this in her praise. God has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. So tucked in there in the Magnificat, in Mary's life and in the life of the early church, is uh, an article, like an article I read by a lady named Nicole Giesbrecht. She says, the Magnificat, God's song for the poor. 
So, so in this, the author says, Jesus is the only person in history, the history of the world who got to choose his parents. And he picked a peasant girl and her tradesman fiance. She refers to these verses and then she says this, do you see the emphasis on God lifting up the poor? This is more than just charity. This is God honoring the poor. So something about this biblical joy we're talking about this morning will involve being poor in the ways of the world and yet rich towards God. So that we know the Bible talks a lot about poor in spirit. You've heard that before. And so God's, we have to know, God's definition of being poor isn't just focused on our material stuff. It's not about the size of our bank account primarily, but the size of our heart as we turn towards God in all things. And I think it, let's take a step further, because I think it does invite us to look at our material wealth. Uh, being Christmas in Canada, let's, let's admit that it's a season of overconsumption and materialism in many ways. Let's admit that perhaps having lots of stuff can distract us from what matters most and will truly satisfy. So you know, young people and people of all ages, I think, I'm gonna turn our, our memory back. Do you remember, and you'll face it in a few days, that feeling, that anticipation of joy of opening all the Christmas presents? Is that good, right? That is good. It's the best. It feels like the best. But do you also remember that feeling about three or four days later, surrounded maybe by the same pile of stuff? Your joy has already faded. We all get that, right? It might happen again this year. Just saying. Um, so to, you know, to, as we finish, to, to sort of linger here for a moment and think about, in Advent, simplicity. Um, a pastor I listened to named Tyler Staten at Bridgetown, he, on his message in Advent, he, he focuses on the soils parable, you know, the four soils, and he really highlights in this theme the third soil. And the quote there in, in the New Testament is this, the worries of life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire of other things choke the seed. So that seed of God, that seed of joy in our hearts can be choked by the stuff around us. And so the things, you know, this is the challenge, the things we will seek or might seek apart from God can suffocate the joy God is trying to plant within you. And in Jesus' whole ministry, he makes a direct link between the eternal quality of life he offers and the material possessions we collect along the way. There's so much in there about commentary on that. And he wants to offer us a joy that's different than what the world offers. And he, Tyler, and I would agree, suggests that we are a people that live in that third soil. And the Bible is true, we really can't serve both God and money and have the joy that we're being shown here. So again, the challenge of Advent, how could it be practical? So maybe, maybe this Advent, could we be more generous? Could we actually free ourselves from what is possessing us so that we can hold more on to the Lord? Could we, could we give our time to spend with people that normally don't get our time? Could we give gifts of experiences rather than material gifts? Could we donate money rather than buying things? So I think the Lord will use very practical things to always nudge us towards this biblical joy, this, this joy that we saw in Mary's life. And I think it will involve, as we reflect on the poor, getting rid of the us-them 
dichotomy. We'll be, we'll be see it as us together, we the poor, all before God, humble, more open, less possessed by having what the world offers. And so I think, you know, if, if you're here today and you are a youth and you're young, you have a bit of an advantage because maybe your path is wide open. You haven't staked your claim on certain things yet. You haven't amassed massive wealth that it tempts you to hold your heart. And yet, you especially, you are being targeted. You're being targeted by these big companies that want to steal your joy by telling you you're not enough until you have this. You're not enough until you get that. And so we're all in the same boat when it comes to that. So maybe, maybe join a, an awareness campaign that reduces poverty. Maybe look into the brands that we wear that uh, are full of oppression. So again, just to, to, to fight back by discovering what Mary discovered when she sang, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices with God, my savior. God's risky plan of inviting Mary to be the mother of Jesus puts her on the verge of losing it all. Her dignity as a woman, her relationship with Joseph, maybe even her life, her belonging. And yet she's about to gain the gift of God that's beyond her wildest imagination. And it's going to be a relationship with Jesus, God's Messiah. And the, the scripture, the, these themes invite us to set our whole trajectory towards that open heart to the Lord. So this question, how is God inviting us, you, me, to allow this, his mystery of joy in all circumstance to enfold in us? As I've already highlighted, it's, it's a risky call and it will expose you to risk. Just like it did for Mary, that oppressed peasant in Palestine, Roman Palestine. When the angels announced that, that good news to her, one of her responses is pondering. It says that earlier in the scripture. She ponders, she wonders, she, she has bewilderment at God's plan. And I think that, again, is that other clue, and it signals what her faith will need to be like in her adult life, this hopeful uncertainty, certainty in God, yet, yet uncertainty. You know, Her and Joseph, after the story, they had to flee to Egypt. God's plan made them the target of an attempted genocide against the babies. And yet, she knew the miracle that had happened in her, in her. Later in her life, Jesus has grown up. She sees more miracles, water to wine, healings. Mary's invited as adults, as we all are, into continue openness to this strange mix of God doing amazing things and, and the strange and troubling way that life throws us confusion and disorientation. And again, Mary's gonna face that, does face that, when her son is murdered, hanging on the cross. Surely at that point, she thought, didn't work. Biblical joy didn't work. And yet, she's in a first surprise, just like we all are. So this joy, this joy of God will test us. And so I would just want it to put out to us through all our disappointments, whether it be health, relationships, school, career. Let's look back on God's promise of salvation. Let's look to, uh, forward towards God's renewal and really trust that he's got us here today in the moments, the stuff that you and I are really facing. I'm just gonna end with a postscript on that little story. So there we were. The sun was shining. The snow looked amazing. 
Our skis were clipped in, but our legs and feet were sore. We were, we were tired from a day of climbing. Like I said, my joy meter had faltered. The smile in the picture is faked. <laughs> really faked. So we did. We started skiing. We enjoyed some turns, but not many, because we hadn't climbed high enough. Uh, and then, you know, in backcountry skiing, there's no, there's no markers that say this is how you get down. There's, there's those trees that we had to find our way through them. Uh, <laughs> climbing about up, and finding plans of getting back together. So, you know, the, then the trails, you get closer to the parking lot, actually had all these rocks sticking up, so we're like snow plowing most of the way down. It was not glorious. It was not the powder turns that you imagine on, on the videos. It was not that. It was painful. And then I spent the next two weeks with back pain, leg pain, blister pain. So it left me wondering, will I become a backcountry skier? I think it's going to take more work than I anticipated, but like joy in the Bible, I think it's going to be worth it. We're about to go into communion, and I am going to encourage you, whether this would be the hundredth time you've heard a message like this, or the first time, would you seek to allow God to fill you with his joy? And so, Susan, would you come up?